Welcome to Offside Sports on the Air. On this week's show, we talk weekly sports news and cover four, the NFL MVP race, the St. Louis Cardinals free agency plan, and just how good LeBron James is. Hey everyone, and thank you for joining us here on Offside Sports on the Air. I'm your host, Noah Brown, and today it's a smaller show, but I'm joined by the Brothers Brown, Nick and Christian. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. How about you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. Uh, so this is episode 10, special episode. The episode 10 was supposed to be last week, uh, but due to some technical computer malfunctions, uh, we lost that episode. Uh, and thus, I also lost that computer, meaning I, I sold it. We got a new one. So hopefully we won't have anything like that again. Uh, we got a good show lined up for you and special episode, episode 10. Now, Nick, if I remember correctly, for uh, the original Offside Sports, when we reached the 10th episode, you wore a tuxedo for that show. Are you wearing a tux right now? Uh, I'm ashamed to admit that I, I'm currently not wearing a tuxedo. Um I'll do better next time. Maybe for the twenty fifth, we'll we'll pull out something special this time around. Not even like you know a, a, a tuck shirt or a bow tie or even a cummerbund. Yeah, at the moment, no. I'm uh, I'm as informal as can be for the moment. So, uh, you know, just got home from <sighs> work, rocking the rocking the shorts and t shirt, man. Oh man, well, and the Lakers yeah, we'll cap, go Lebron. To- <laughs> <laughs> definitely have to do better for the twenty fifth episode. But we're gonna jump right in. Uh, so we're going to start with cover four, and these are some of the questions we used from last week, but we'll recycle them because they're still applicable, uh, and then we'll talk about some uh, baseball free agency before diving into some uh, NFL and NBA talk. So to start off, uh, cover four, question one. Minnesota Twins starting pitcher Jake Odorizzi is one of two players in the MLB to agree to the one-year $17.8 million qualifying offer before free agency. This move is blank for the Twins and blank for Odorizzi. I think it's uh, good for both Odorizzi and the Twins. Uh, Jake Odorizzi had a had a fantastic uh, bounce-back year last year after signing just a one-year uh, offer from the Twins. Uh, turned that into uh, one of the better seasons he's had in his career. Uh, was one of the most consistent uh, starting pitchers for the Twins and really helped solidify their starting rotation on their way to winning 100-plus games. Um, there was a lot of speculation that he might be one of the free agents that would be most likely to accept a qualifying offer simply because uh, uh, he the, the starting pitching market is led by both Steven Strasburg and Garrett Cole and that the market might be held up until those two elite starting pitchers sign, meaning that Jake Odorizzi could have been without a team uh, at, at, at the beginning of the new year or potentially even longer as we approach spring training. Uh, I think it was a smart move by him and his agent to say, you know what, why don't we just accept this one year uh, $18 million-ish offer uh, from the Twins, stay around for one more year in a place where you perform well and we're comfortable, and then go into next year's uh, pitching market not only not having the qualifying offer attached since you can only get offered that once, uh, but also then uh, if he repeats his performance from last year, will very likely be one of, if not the top available starting pitcher on the market next year, and it may be in line for a significant payday. And for the Twins, this is really more of a low-risk type of move. Uh, instead of having to go out on the starting pitching market and potentially have to buy uh, two, if not maybe three, starting pitchers, 
they were able to get uh, Jake Odorizzi on a one-year $18 million contract that uh, helps uh, secure next year's rotation without actually having to uh, invest a lot of long-term assets that may or may not uh, turn out to be fruitful. And so the Twins can definitely uh, go into this year knowing that they've got a good pitcher for one year, and then it, depending on how things go, could you know decide to move on from him or could uh, potentially want to offer him a multi-year extension. I really do think this is a, a good move for both Odorizzi and for the twins all right question two the golden state warriors are last place in the western conference in the nba and have the worst record in the league through around 20 games with it looking like the dubs will break their streak of consecutive finals appearances and serious questions about the team's roster right now the warriors dynasty is blank well uh, the war the warriors dynasty that we've uh known for the last uh you know give or take four years in the NBA, it is over. Uh, they have some talented pieces still. This year is just, uh, you can tell that they've just already called this year scratch, uh, just with the injury to Clay Thompson at the end of last year, and now with uh, Steph having a hand injury as well, on top of losing Kevin Durant uh, to Fridge. That's just uh, a, a complete mass exodus of your top-end talent for this year, and... Uh, you can already tell with like Steph's injury, uh, they're certainly not going to be in any rush to bring him back. And this will be kind of the uh, vengeance uh, tour for a, a lot of the teams in the league. They're kind of relishing the opportunity um, to play this weekend Golden State and just, you know, uh, be- beat them to a pulp so far this season. Um, that being said, uh, there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of talk about the Warriors potentially uh, looking into trading Draymond Green uh, or making some other moves to really kind of sell this year and try and rebuild uh, going forward. But uh, I think next year, even if you just run this team back, you'll get uh, a healthy Steph back, obviously a healthy Clay Thompson, and those three players. Um, can still be a very competitive team. Uh, they certainly won't be the overwhelming uh, finals favorites that that we were used to them being. That certainly goes to uh, you know either of the LA teams so far this year. Now even they you know with, with the Rockets and uh, the uh, you know so many other teams like the Denver Nuggets uh, looking Trailblazers. Re- the Trailblazers also looking really good. Uh, you know, it'll be a much more level footing, but they can absolutely compete in the Western Conference with that roster back. Um, so th- they can feel the competitive team. I think they should keep their current core together, but that dynasty is definitely a thing of the past. Well, and I think you br- it was you who brought it up, Nick, in an earlier episode where it seems like the NBA is starting to shift away from the super teams where you're trying to get three, four, five incredible starters and possibly another sixth guy that you can have. Because with the Warriors this season, I mean, you see what the the effects of having injuries to some of those guys, where if you're spending so much money on your starting five, you have no one else behind them. So when someone like Stephen Curry goes down you've got no one to replace him. And so it seems like we're kind of shifting away from the super team mentality and moving back more to a, a duo, uh, kind of like the, the mid-90s NBA jam style of play 
I mean, with the Lakers, you've got LeBron and Anthony Davis. With the Clippers, you've got Kawhi and Paul George. Rockets, you've got James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. The Warriors, once they get back, you still have you know Curry and Thompson, so on and so forth. I mean, so many teams have this 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 duo. So since we're moving back to to the the duo style of play, do you think the Warriors will be able to fall back in, relying solely on Curry and Thompson? Yeah, I mean, I think that those two players, uh, certainly in kind of this age of basketball with the three being uh, so important and spacing the floor and shooting, uh, that that's the best tandem uh, that, that you want shooting the ball. And so they can absolutely come back and compete. Um, kind of with, with what you said earlier, that's the thing about this the Warriors dynasty that just made them uh, head and shoulders uh, a you know, just far and away the best team in the NBA over the course of their dynasty was not only did they have, uh, certainly, uh, after signing Kevin Durant, just the, just an embarrassing wealth of top end talent, but even beforehand, just Steph Clay and Draymond was, uh, was a very good starting group, but they also had incredible depth. You had pieces like Sean Livingston and Andre Iguodala, uh, to name just a couple, uh, that were able to come in and like Iguodala was finals MVP, you know, a few years ago. And, uh, so many of these role players playing really, really well and playing important roles for the team. And along with the top end talent, those pieces are no longer there. Um, but yeah, but that's what what I really like about it now is that uh, a lot of teams, uh, kind of over the course of the, the the Warriors' run, just kind of folded. You had you know LeBron's teams, and you had the Houston Rockets, and a couple of the teams in the West that still tried to field competitive teams that could top the Warriors. Um, but a lot of teams seem to be content just kind of standing pat, waiting for this dynasty to you know inevitably end before trying to. Um, come back in and compete again and now uh with that dynasty out of the way like we said the 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 west is a lot more wide open the nba just feels a lot more wide open because as you said you get a couple players together now um certainly you know it's still a superstar driven league you need to have uh at least two superstars nowadays to to be a true finals contender um but a lot more teams have that than the you know three or four that it would take to potentially take over the Warriors. All right, we'll come back to a little bit more NBA talk later on in the show. So we'll move on to question number three. The University of Minnesota football squad is possibly the best that it has ever been. They are currently 10 and 1. However, there's still a high probability, almost guaranteed, that the Gophers will miss the national playoff game. They lost to uh I believe it was Iowa last week, uh, giving them their one loss in the season, moving them down enough in the power rankings where it seems like they will not be able to come back, get to the top four, and make it to the national playoffs. So given all that, considering that this is still one of the best Gophers teams that we've seen, and that there are a lot of great teams who year in and year out miss the playoffs because it seems like it's based more on reputation and past performance as much as it is on current season performance, the idea of a four-team playoff in college football is blank. I mean, yeah, it seems like a lot of people, a lot of college football fans uh, have this discussion around this time of year because four teams um, is such a limited playoff that, uh, you know, it does give uh, very good teams, uh, you know, like the Gophers, uh, 
a little bit of, of disappointment that despite playing really, really well, one loss to a very good team uh, can very easily eliminate you from, from a shot at a national title. Um, that being said, uh, <laughs> I don't know that expanding the college football playoff uh, – I think that's also a, a very hard thing uh, to accomplish. And you're talking about, you know, now adding then um, another week and you're adding four more games to uh, to a playoff schedule that just uh, becomes a lot harder to arrange. And I think you'd still run into the same problems, except it wouldn't be, you know, the 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 fifth and sixth seeds that are disappointed. If you're looking at the ninth and tenth seeds, it's like, hey, like, why we – just missed the playoffs compared to a team that maybe lost uh, one or two more games than we did, but had a had a tougher schedule. I think you're going to have to answer those questions either way, and I don't know that you know it, just expanding the playoffs based on that is necessarily the best course of action. Well, and obviously, they're they're this year. I think is exposing some of the issues that we've uh, seen in several recent years with how the college football playoffs teams are selected. Um, there's a very good chance that even though they will only finish the season with one loss, but have yet, but didn't would not have a single win against a ranked opponent there's a very good chance that Alabama will be a playoff team even though they have one of the weakest strength of schedule uh, performances uh, in all the power five Uh, they had a very easy schedule uh, with only one or two pretty tough games uh, especially that that home loss to LSU being the the one that sticks out but the fact that Alabama whether it's based on uh, southern bias of the committee or whether it's based on just uh, the reputation of it being Alabama uh, the fact that they would go as a one-loss team, even though they didn't play really any other team of note, whereas you have other one-loss teams like uh, Minnesota or other one-loss or potentially a one-loss Big Ten champion that may not get in uh, because of of other uh, extenuating factors beyond that. That that really just doesn't seem like a fair system. Now, uh, trying to fix that, I think, is a is a huge challenge, and I and I agree with Nick that I don't know if expanding the number of teams that get into the college playoff as the solution to that but there definitely needs to be uh some some things looked at in the college football playoff selection process because even though minnesota is having one of the best seasons in in college and school history um it, it it seems a bit uh unfair that uh, they probably won't get in, even though they will finish probably, most likely as a as a one loss uh, team in the regular season, and uh, will probably be a Big Ten West champion and go and lose the the Big Ten championship game. All right, and on to the final question of Cover Four. Reports are surfacing that the Houston Astros use camera technology during the 2017 World Series to steal pitching signs, giving their team an unfair advantage through the series. The MLB community is outraged and are calling for penalties against Houston. The Astros' punishment should be blank. The penalty for for this should be quite severe. Um, I, I think up until this point, um, we there hadn't been as many as many scandals 
uh, in baseball as there have been in other sports. I think the most recent that comes to mind would be the Cardinals hacking scandal where a uh, the former Cardinals scouting director, Chris Correa, uh, illegally accessed uh, internal databases for the Houston Astros organization to see if they had stolen any proprietary information that had once belonged to the Cardinals since a lot of their top office executives were once Cardinals officials. Um, during that investigation, they found that it was a rogue employee acting on his own uh, and without the knowledge of any other top executives in St. Louis. And because it was a lone wolf act and was not uh, sanctioned by the organization, while the while the punishment was tough, I mean, losing two, losing two top draft picks, getting fined uh, $2 million, and, and losing uh, international spending money, uh, that was seen as an, as an appropriate punishment. But that also dealt with a dealt with matters that were outside the field of play and were not affecting uh, actual baseball games played during the regular season. This uh, is this, these allegations are very serious and do involve um, a very sophisticated structure of sign stealing and trying to gain an unfair advantage on opposing teams. Uh, because of that, if these allegations turn out to be true and especially if it's uh activities that were sanctioned from the top of the organization on down the penalties for this scandal should be incredibly severe um there have been talks about uh multiple years of losing draft picks uh multiple uh years of losing international spending money uh m maxing out all the fines uh, that are possible under baseball's uh punishment rules uh and really just finding any way to make sure that other teams and the astros do not try to do something like this ever again and i think that's the problem that baseball is having right now is that because a scandal of this magnitude has never been seen before uh there really is no precedent uh, uh available to look at on how to best punish the team and of course when you're also looking at punishing the astros you want to make sure that the penalty is stiff enough where they don't uh, think about trying to do something like this ever again, but you also don't want to essentially make it a 2019 league by rendering the Astros completely uncompetitive. You can't take away players. You can't uh, eliminate their ability to draft and develop players for you know a whole decade. You can't you can't do ridiculous things like that. But it does need to be stiff enough so that they are uh, definitely uh, that they definitely never try to do something like that ever again. Would it be feasible to imagine the league taking away the World Series championship from the Astros? That could definitely be a possibility, but that also is a move that is more symbolic than anything else. It doesn't really affect the Astros in the present or uh, future. It All it does is take away a championship, which, while significant, uh, they would lose a banner, you know, that they, they technically in the record books would not be acknowledged as a, as a championship. That All that does is just... Is all, all that represents is baseball symbolically taking away a championship that is punishing them for acts that may have influenced their ability to win that championship. But that doesn't that doesn't impact their uh, that doesn't impact their current or future play. And so I think while that's definitely something that could be considered, I just don't see that as as an appropriate avenue for punishing the Astros. Okay, well that's going to do it for us here for Cover Four. So. Tune in next week as we do another exciting installment. Uh, hopefully we will have an episode next week. Um, <laughs> no more technical difficulties. So now we'll go ahead and move on to our second segment. Uh, we're going to talk some NFL, then some MLB, then some NBA. So kicking us off, we're a little bit over halfway through the season, approaching the final month of the season, I should say, uh, in the NFL. And this is probably one of the best MVP races we've seen 
in a while. CBS News does an unofficial MVP leaderboard uh, uh, every week, and it, there are some fringe contenders here and there, like Tom Brady and Dak Prescott are getting a couple of mentions here and there, but nothing really serious. It, it seems like really right now it is a two-person race between Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson. Christian McCaffrey is warranting some serious consideration. Uh Pat Mahomes is still in the conversation just because of the stats he's been able to put up despite being injured for a few weeks there. Uh, you have someone like Deshaun Watson, who at the beginning of the season was was a strong contender, has fallen off a little bit in the last few weeks. Uh, but really, Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson are kind of your top two names. So we'll just have this as a good old-fashioned debate. Who do you guys think, by the end of the season, should have the MVP award and will get the MVP award? Well, I definitely think at this point it is uh, very firmly a two-man race between Russell Wilson uh, and Lamar Jackson. Um, mostly, uh, you mentioned some other names like Mahomes and McCaffrey, uh, and it's just the the performance of both of those teams in recent weeks. I think has like taken them out um, of the immediate contention. Um, but yeah, both of those players, um, obviously both mobile quarterbacks able to uh, extend the play when things break down with their legs. And uh, I mean, with Lamar Jackson just being on uh, an entirely different level there as far as mobile quarterback. Haven't seen, uh, haven't seen uh, runs like that from the quarterback position since really Michael Vick. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really hard to pick between those two uh, at this point, I think. Uh, it'll be a matter of team success down the stretch. And for that reason, uh, my pick, I, I think Russell Wilson will come away with uh, the MVP award. I think uh, the team is just performing at an unbelievable level. And I think the way their team is currently set up, uh, MVP uh, uh, People voting for the award will will kind of look at the team around him and and, and see that his individual efforts and his uh, the amount that he has to carry the team is just I think a little bit higher than Lamar Jackson at this point in time. Uh, there certainly is uh, there's some more offensive playmakers um, around Lamar and the Baltimore defense has also been really good this year. Uh, and, and so for that reason, I think Russell Wilson would be my pick. But either one for this season would absolutely deserve the award, in my opinion. And I and I do think that um, most of what Nick said is spot on. That you know it, both both players are very deserving of that award, especially given the the success that both of them have had this year, uh, and also being dual threat quarterbacks where they both are able to make great quarterback throws and be able to uh, win games by passing through the air, but are also able to gain valuable yards and score uh, on the ground as well. Um, the one thing I will push back on a little bit is that I think while, while you can definitely make the argument that uh, Russell Wilson means more to his team than Lamar Jackson. Jackson does I don't think it's that I don't think the gap in that in that department is as large as some people might think because you know Lamar Jackson is having a special year uh, not only in, in the passing game but also ha on the ground as well and um, part of what I look at when I when I think about the MVP race is if you had taken that quarterback out of 
their team and put in an average quarterback, you know, what how how would the team be different? And I think, you know, obviously taking Russell Wilson out of the Seahawks and putting someone in would dramatically impact their results. I think they uh, certainly would would not be the same kind of offensive force that that we've grown accustomed to them being over the last couple of years. But the same thing can be said for the Baltimore Ravens if they didn't have Lamar Jackson at quarterback and had an average uh, had an average QB that wasn't able to move as well uh they would definitely not be able to do a lot of things that they do them being the baltimore ravens and that you know teams would stack the box a lot more against mark ingram if they didn't have a running quarterback and if they didn't have someone who had the arm talent that lamar jackson had a lot of the receiving touchdowns that they've had this year and a lot of the uh, deep receptions that they've had this year uh probably would not be there, um, simply because Lamar Jackson has a lot of uh, touch and feel for the ball to be able to throw it deep and also make uh, e- uh, easy completions for checkdowns. Um, I-, I really do think that the offense would be a completely different offense and one that wouldn't be leading the league in scoring points per game. Uh, and-, and for all those reasons, I really do think that Lamar has a better chance to win the MVP uh, than some might suggest, and partly in, in part due to the fact that uh, that some MVP voters will vote on story and and narrative, and I think Lamar Jackson has a far better story and narrative going for the Ravens than than the Seahawks and Russell Wilson do. I think part of it too, though. I mean, Lamar Jackson has definitely been a a fantastic story this season and is a very very good quarterback um, and makes a lot of really big flashy plays. Uh, but there was one game a few weeks ago that kind of solidified Russell Wilson as my top pick for MVP. I forget which game it was. If you guys remember this story, uh, feel free to jump in. Um, but right at right before the first half ended, Russell Wilson was leading his team, leading his offense on a drive, and his helmet communications went out. Uh, so he went through, and for that entire drive, called his own plays. They marched about 80 yards for a touchdown, just the the level of cool, uh, calm, collectedness that Russell Wilson had. I mean, yes, Lamar Jackson, fantastic player, makes a lot of big plays, makes a lot of flashy plays. Ravens offense is is a powerhouse. But if you were to ask me, game on the line, which quarterback you can pick, one quarterback to lead your team to victory, a- any quarterback, I would choose Russell Wilson. Yeah, and I think that's where that's just another spot where. Uh... Russell Wilson will get the edge um, in my mind and I think with a lot of the MVP voters is that uh, the Ravens have had a lot of success on offense and uh, Lamar Jackson is able to do so many things but I think because of that uh, the offense seems a little bit more uh, catered to uh, to Lamar at this point in his career it doesn't seem like uh, that if things break down he is going to uh, do everything that Russell Wilson does. And I think but part of that is just uh, where they are in their respective careers. I think just uh, Wilson having far more NFL experience to this point um, just gives him that edge. I certainly think Lamar has uh, every chance to to get to that point, certainly with his athleticism and his arm talent. Um, but just with, with this being his second year, uh, there, there are just some... There, there's some insight and uh, some play calling ability and just some instinct that come with playing NFL football 
for you know for more than a couple years that that Lamar just still has to develop. And, and building on that longevity thing, um, there there's a, an article that was posted today. Uh, saying that Russell Wilson, assuming the Seahawks don't have a massive collapse and lose their final six games, uh, Russell Wilson will be the first quarterback in the history of the NFL to have a winning record in all of his first eight seasons. And so that, one, speaks to the, the, the level of coaching and the consistency that the Seahawks have had throughout the last decade. It speaks to the Legion of Boom that was founded in the early 2010s uh, the, the, and what car- that defense that carried this team to a lot of its, its success early on. But I think that also speaks to Russell Wilson, how consistent, you know, through once we saw the, the Legion of Boom kind of collapse in 2015, 2016. But the Seahawks have still been perennial contenders in the NFC West and in the NFC because of Russell Wilson. And I think, as Nick mentioned, that adds just another notch to his his resume, to to his, I guess, legend as, as a quarterback, where he is a good quarterback who will keep his team in contention no matter the pieces he has around him. All right, uh, so before we move on to baseball, I've got one more question that I've been dying to ask. The Bengals right now are still 0-10. Uh, they're probably the worst team in football right now which begs the question Miami was openly tanking at the beginning of the season are the dolphins so bad that they can't even tank right i i think i think when when we earlier in the season before Miami had their two game win streak to to get out of the uh doldrums of unbeatenness uh or on or on on not on winlessness Winlessness. There we go. My goodness. Anyway, worlds are hard. Anyway, uh, before Miami went on their two-game win streak to, to actually get their first two wins on the year, there were there was plenty of debate about who was the worst team. Is it the team who simply just doesn't have the talent to compete, but is always you know not who is not actively or at least says they're not actively tanking, versus the team that is pretty consensus uh, that the consensus was they were trying to tank and, and accumulate draft picks and and do all that. But I think. It was interesting to see that in all of the media coverage and in all the press conferences and just watching some of the games, you can tell that while the front office of the Dolphins and maybe some players are just you know not really interested in the season and not playing hard, their head coach, Brian Flores, is not standing for that at all. Brian Flores is uh, the way he coaches a game, the way he tries to... Um, get the best out of his players. I mean, he's trying to win every single game every week uh, in spite of what the front office might be trying to do with tanking. And I, and I really do think that, you know, Brian Flores might turn out to be one of the one of the better head coaching hires that would, that was had um, last offseason. Uh, I think the Bengals right now are the worst team in football, not, not only because of their record, but none of their games have really even been all that close. I mean, the this last week's Raiders-Bengals game probably was the closest margin of victory that they had, margin of defeat that they had all season long. Um, they're just devoid of talent on both sides of the ball, which is hard to believe because four or five years ago, I mean, they were a team that was consistently a 10 to 12 win team that was going to the playoffs almost every year. Um and the fact that they've kind of fallen off from that pretty quickly is a little sad to see, especially because now that they're probably going to go into this offseason um, potentially winless, but maybe with only a one or two win team uh, with a high draft pick, maybe even the number one overall pick, and are going to have to look for a quarterback. They're definitely going to need some help kind of everywhere. Um, I, I just think that it Cincinnati really has taken over the crown of worst team in the NFL over the Dolphins. 
Well, absolutely, and that's where, as far as like being bad at tanking, that's what Christian mentioned earlier. That while the front office might, you know, give up on a season and uh, try and trade some players and get a return uh, to try and rebuild for next year. Uh, yeah, good good luck convincing certainly uh, any head coach and uh, and especially uh, Coach Flores in this situation and any player in that locker room. Uh, good luck convincing them that this is a tanking year and that they should intentionally try to lose games. Like you're not going to get, uh, I think, a player or a coach. Uh, really, there's never a situation where it is in their best interest to try to lose games. Um, each every football team is going to do what they can to try and win each and every week, which is why it is so rare and you know, frankly, so difficult. Uh, you know, to really uh go through a year as an NFL team and, and not get a win. Um, just with kind of the 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 talent floor that the NFL has any given week, uh, you know, an offense can string some really good drives together. A defense can put together some really good plays and really good stops. And you're bound to, uh, even if you're considered relatively like talent depleted, you can find your way to a couple wins each week. Certainly with a coach like Brian Flores that hasn't, uh, let Miami just, you know, uh, uh, curl up and call it quits on the season so far. And actually the, the, Dolphins have a pretty good chance to quote unquote turn their season around a little bit in the final few weeks of the season here. Uh, they're sitting with they're what two and ten right now, two and nine, two and ten. Um, in their final four games, they play the Browns, the Jets, the Giants, and the Bengals. All all winnable games. So it, it is feasible that the Dolphins end the year with six wins. Which still is, is not a successful season, but is is not you know horrible where we thought they would be you know at the beginning of the season at zero and sixteen and arguably one of the worst teams we've ever seen. Well, and and of course we're also forgetting that right now Miami is actually in line for the third overall pick because sandwiched between them and the Bengals is the one and nine Washington Redskins. The Washington has had a very very terrible year, and they're just not their their season is not getting as much coverage as the Bengals or or, or Miami simply because those were those were teams that we thought were going to be bad this year. Coming into this year, we certainly didn't see the Redskins being a one and nine football team. We knew they weren't going to be good. They weren't going to challenge probably for the NFC East, but we. Were we're expecting closer to a 500 or only a couple game below 500 team, not a not a one and nine football team. Yeah, I think it. You know, we were talking about uh, Dolphins and Bengals being one of the worst teams or the worst team in the league earlier in the season. I think Washington is is a strong candidate for worst team in the league, even though they have a better record than the Bengals. I don't know. It, it's really down between those two. Uh, but we've seen Washington's offense is absolutely incompetent, cannot move the ball. Their defense is porous. And as a Cowboys fan and Nick as an Eagles fan, I'm sure that makes you happy just as much as it makes me happy. Uh, yeah, and they, they seem to be a team. Uh, I, I will say the difference there, um, they seem to have uh, a couple different options at, at quarterback, and they're trying to decide what they uh, should do with Dwayne Haskins, and I think they're not handling the situation uh, terribly well so far when has washington ever handled a quarterback situation well uh, yeah and so we'll see when did they have joe theisman <laughs> yeah yeah 
Uh, and Haskins is a talented player, and so they, they could potentially have their option uh, at quarterback, which for their outlook for the next couple years would definitely put them in a better spot than um, certainly the, the Bengals at this point who seem like they're ready to move on from Andy Dalton. And the Dolphins, you know, they, they don't really know that they traded for Josh Rosen to start the year. Obviously, he hasn't uh, uh, started for the Dolphins at this point. Um, it's magic, baby. Yeah, and so I, I think there are several reasons. Uh, you also have the the Trent Williams holdout, which you know, if you're going your season without your franchise left tackle, um, and especially with some kind of uh, tension, a lot of tension between the two sides, even though he's still a part of the team, uh, you know, that can cause actually a lot more friction than had you just you know cut bait and moved on and tried to find another option. Uh, so there's a lot of kind of internal strife going on I think Washington is maybe a better team uh on on paper than than either uh the Dolphins or or the Bengals um and I certainly think that their outlook for uh the next year or two is better than than the Bengals at this point I I still think the Bengals are definitely the worst team in the NFL all right so we'll go ahead switch gears over to Major League Baseball right now uh we're Sitting right at the beginning of the offseason, free agency is almost upon us. Uh, it is a glorious time uh, to watch the hot stove get hotter and see some big deals coming down. Cardinals, it sounds like, aren't going to make too many big splashes. It, I, I've mentioned a couple times on this show that it seems like every year they, they make one big move that, that's to, you know, try to improve their team and they make a whole bunch of either smaller internal moves or smaller signings here and there. Uh, last year was Paul Goldschmidt was, was their one big signing. It seems like they're not going to do anything like that right now. So we'll turn it over to our chief MLB analyst, Christian Brown, Christian, give us a roadmap for the Cardinals off season. What are their biggest positions of need and what are the options that they have available? Well, they already have addressed one of their areas of need, and that's rotation depth by bringing back Adam Wainwright on a one-year $5 million deal that also has uh, $5 million of incentives uh, so that could max out at, at, at a total of $10 million. Uh, there was really little question that the Cardinals were going to try and bring him back, uh, given how well he performed uh, last season, both especially late in the year and in the postseason. Um, they are still in need of a number five starter. Uh, there, there are questions as to whether Carlos Martinez will be able to this off season uh, build up strength and durability to go back into the rotation or if he's going to just stick at closer especially given that Jordan Hicks their all-star closer will not be back until after the all-star break uh, so rotation is still a area of need for them uh, but they definitely helped fill that void by, re- by bringing back Adam Wainwright on a one-year deal uh, they're still uh, depending on what happens with Marcelo Ozuna, they are going to need to figure out what they're going to do in left field if they bring back Ozuna, they will have a locked in outfield uh, with with Ozuna in left, Bader in center, and we'll start the season with Fowler in right. Um, obviously, that could be that that situation is still fluid and could change given what happens in spring training and early in the year. Um, there's the Cardinals are still, I think, betting uh, on Bader uh, coming around offensively in center while still exhibiting his strong speed and, and elite defense. Um, but they do have prospects waiting uh, to take uh, over in any of the outfield spots if any of those players uh, struggle. 
Um, most notably, the two that I'm looking at are uh, Lane Thomas and Dylan Carlson. Now, Lane Thomas was in the majors a bit last year, made his major league debut, and was actually uh, quite uh, performed quite well uh, in, in a limited sample size. Showed a bit of uh, a power, showed uh, some speed on the base pass, and really probably is the second best defender in center field behind Harrison Bader on the Cardinals' uh, depth chart. So he's definitely someone that I think they're going to give a chance to, regardless of uh, how Bader does, uh, whether in a backup role or if Bader needs to go back down to Memphis or sit on the bench to fix offensive woes. I think Lane Thomas can be an option there. And Dylan Carlson is their best offensive prospect since the late Oscar Tavares was in their system uh, several years back. Um, and he looks like he could be a legit major leaguer when he comes up. I think they're probably going to start the year with him down in Memphis again just to get some more development time. Uh, but you never know. A strong spring training could put him in the mix, especially if they don't bring back Ozuna. And then really, um, once they address the left field situation and address their starting rotation it really is just kind of filling out the the far corners of the roster they can definitely use some bullpen arms especially with the uh dfa of Dominic Leone to make room for some uh, minor league prospects who needed to be added to the 40-man roster ahead of the Rule 5 draft later this winter. Uh, they could definitely use some uh, some bullpen depth there. Uh, and they also may, it, they may be opportunistic in looking at a solution for third base. Now right now, Matt Carpenter is slated to be the starter there uh, with Tommy Edmond re- remaining in the super utility role. But I'm sure the Cardinals will be gauging interest both in the trade market and the free agent market to see if maybe they there's an upgrade to be had there. Now, obviously, that would create some roster uh, crunches, especially given that they can't really afford to have three third basemen on the roster, and third base happens to be their biggest posi- uh, their biggest depth position in the minor leagues, with Nolan Gorman, Malcolm Nunez, and Ella Harris Montero being there and having the chance to be all solid major leaguers. So, uh, I don't think the Cardinals would say no to conversations with Josh Donaldson, maybe even might look at Anthony Rendon or a trade candidate somewhere, uh, but r- for right now, I expect Matt Carpenter to come into next year as the starting third baseman. So, really, uh, to kind of just recap the biggest needs they still need to uh do for this offseason are going to need to be figuring out the number five spot in the rotation and also uh figuring out what to do in left field i think those are the two big things that the cardinals have to look at and solve this offseason if they are going to try and uh defend their their nl central division title and make it back uh, deep into the playoffs next year I think left field is probably going to be the most interesting development this offseason. The fifth starter, I mean, you have a couple internal options in Daniel Ponce de Leon and John Gant and Carlos Martinez, uh, as well as some free agent options should they choose to, to go out and sign a fifth free agent. But left field, there are just so many moving pieces there uh, that it's it's kind of a, a roller coaster. It's a, it's a, a, a carousel, I guess is the word I'm looking for, where you, you feasibly could start the season with four or five guys at left field and each would have their own merits in saying yes he should be your starting left fielder what are the chances that Marcelo Zuna comes back and if he doesn't who is your number one pick to take left field I think the chances of Marcelo Zuna coming back are not 
it's tough it's tough to gauge right now i think the cardinals obviously have interest in bringing him back um they 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 the production that he provided them for his two years in st louis was good but not i think what anyone might have expected given that he was coming off a monster 2017 season when the cardinals traded for him he's never approached that kind of production in his two years with st louis but obviously was still a valuable uh, asset to have on the offense especially given that he hit 25 plus home runs and drove in 80 plus runs each year that he was with st louis um i think right now uh the cardinals i think are still in the market for him uh there are obviously other teams uh that are interested and depending on how how many teams and what numbers those teams are talking about with ozuna and his agent the cardinals may may back off a little bit because i think obviously the cardinals would be interested in bringing him back but not at um not at top shelf top tier free agent prices um if, if if he happens to you know if his market doesn't come together like they thought or or maybe he's willing to take a little bit of a discount to come back to st louis uh Maybe they might reconsider. Uh, I, I, I think Marcelo Zuna is probably looking at trying to get a contract in the $25, $26 million a year range, and I just don't know if the Cardinals would be willing to pay for him at that price. Uh, they probably would definitely be interested in the maybe $19, $20 to $22 million range. Um, I know we're talking you know millions of dollars here, and it doesn't sound like a whole lot of difference uh, in baseball terms, but... Uh, given how financially strapped the Cardinals might be for this season, given some of the bad contracts on their roster, I just don't think they're going to be paying Marcelo Zuna top-tier free agent money. And if that's what he's looking for and that's what he's getting from other teams, he probably won't come back. So if he doesn't come back, then I really do think the Cardinals are going to give every chance and opportunity to Lane Thomas to take over the left field spot um, and and certainly have some backup outfielders and Randy Arozarena and uh, Adolis Garcia to fill in there. And then, of course, um, depending on how those three perform, uh, it might that job very well might be Dylan Carlson's to take over uh, later in the 2020 season or potentially after uh, during the beginning of the 2021 season. One name that I noticed you left out there uh, is Tyler O'Neill, everyone's favorite uh, shirtless weightlifting home run jacking left fielder or uh, outfield option it, it seems like he's kind of the odd man out here where every, as you just said a lot of people are talking about lane thomas dylan carlson as kind of your top two candidates so what do the cardinals do with tyler o'neill moving forward it's an interesting proposition and i think he's by far the the most experienced of those of that group of minor league uh, outfielders that I that I mentioned, um, and and the Cardinals have always admired him uh, for his power potential and the power potential that he showed while in Memphis uh, in the minor leagues the last couple years has always been tantalizing and uh, the Cardinals have been holding out hope that he can you know take over a starting job in the major leagues because he can consistently hit for power and get on base. And be a run producer while producing above average defense in the field. Uh, the the hardest issue for Tyler O'Neill has just been staying healthy and staying on the field. Um, he's had several injuries the last couple of years that have uh, really kept him in and out of the lineup. And um, he's one of the more streaky players of the Cardinals. Have where when he gets hot and goes on a roll, he can really carry an offense. But then he'll also has a tendency he'll also has a tendency to uh, go cold. 
uh, for long stretches uh, in between those hot streaks. And so really, I think if, if he can somehow find a way uh, to be more consistent and to put to, and string together more more consistent at-bats and quality at-bats and also show some of the power that the Cardinals have been hoping to see out of him, he might get a chance to be the everyday starting left fielder if Marcelo Zuna doesn't come back. Um, if he if Marcelo Zuna does come back and they, and they relegate Tyler O'Neill to a bench role with all the other outfielders that are coming uh, through the Cardinal system. I just don't see how Tyler O'Neill is going to get that many more chances. And so it very well might be a situation where if he still has consistency problems and might even have injury problems, the Cardinals might just look to either move off of him in a trade or potentially would just cut him and release him, which would be unfortunate because I think a lot of Cardinals fans have been really hopeful of his power potential and hoping that he could be the player that the Cardinals thought they were getting when they traded for him a couple years ago from Seattle. All right, well, we'll keep you updated on any MLB headlines that keep coming out through the weeks, but we'll move on to our final segment here. We're going to talk some basketball. Uh, Nick, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the show, kind of the return of the power duos coming in. And leading the charge right now are the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Are they the best duo in basketball right now? Uh, well, I'm of the opinion, and you'll, you'll certainly find a lot of people that, that see LeBron and AD as the best duo in basketball, and certainly for the first few weeks of the season, the Lakers have been the best team in basketball, largely driven by that duo. Um, they've just recently seeded uh, their uh, first overall uh, defense uh, defensive efficiency rating, and I think they've fallen all the way down to uh, third in the league. Um, but they've also uh, upticked their offensive efficiency from, I believe it was 18th, uh, all the way to, to the top five, uh, I believe. Um, and so just on both sides of the ball, uh, you can tell this is a uh, kind of reinvigorated LeBron. He's back after having an injury-shortened campaign last year. Um, he, he really wants to, uh, I think, show everyone that he is still uh, the best player in basketball. Uh, and, and certainly I think uh, there are only a couple of other teams that you can argue have uh, two uh, top ten players, much less uh, I feel like the Lakers have two top five players in the league uh, in LeBron and AD. You can argue that uh, Kawhi and Paul George can be in the running. Certainly uh, Westbrook and James Harden uh, can make a run. And, you know, as um, uh, put Giannis Antetokounmpo and uh, whomever you want as the second best uh, Milwaukee Bucks player any given night. That's still uh, quite a combination. Uh, Giannis is playing like one of the best players in the league. Um, but certainly I, I would put uh, LeBron and AD at the top of the pile. And that kind of leads me into my next question where it's it's a little early, but MVP race in basketball is starting to, to, to form as well. Uh, and you mentioned kind of two of the front runners in Giannis and LeBron. You also have Luka Doncic with uh, the Dallas Mavericks uh, and James Harden, uh, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, those are those are kind of the, the the top five guys right now, uh, and so you mentioned Lakers are playing like the best team in basketball right now. LeBron is playing like one of the best players in basketball, very much similar to what we saw him with uh, his days with the Heat uh, when they won their championships. Who is your favorite for MVP right now? Uh, I mean, I, I think if he keeps up this pace or something near it, and his team continues to play at this pace I feel like it's it's LeBron at this point in the year um he's had that comment obviously statistically uh he's turning in a triple double almost every night uh 
and he's um, it, it's not just the numbers so far that you can really tell that when he's on the floor, the Lakers are just a a much better team, and he has that perfect combination so far of numbers of team success and these highlight reel plays. It seems like there's one or two a night of of either him uh, lobbing to Anthony Davis or Dwight Howard, uh, or him making a great play on the defensive side of the ball, or you know him coming in and finishing uh, either an alley oop or just taking it himself uh, and slamming it down on the offensive end. Um, and I mean, he's everyone uh, you know knows that LeBron has been a top five player, you know, pretty much for the the, the better part of this decade, uh, if before that. Uh, and he's been in the running for MVP pretty much every year he plays. But I think this is the year that um, it, it'll be hard to have anyone but him uh, at that top spot if he continues this pace. You mentioned he kind of had everything with the team success, statistical success, uh, and highlight plays. He also has big storylines on his side, too, where just a few days ago he became the first player uh, to record a triple-double versus all 30 teams in the league. Uh, as you said before, he seems like he's he's fired up again playing. Not that he wasn't before, but he's, he's, he's playing angry. This is some vintage LeBron that we're seeing. Uh, and, yeah, you can make arguments for, you know, several other people to be in, in the MVP race, but I think I got to agree with you there where LeBron seems destined for his fifth MVP this season, barring any, any change uh, throughout yeah. the season. Yeah. And, and not to mention, you know, kind of up to this point in the year, he is, uh, you know, he's clearly the, the point guard for the Lakers and he also happens to be leading the league in assists so far, just for, you know, he just, uh, drives that offense, and he makes the players around him better. And again, these are things that we've known about LeBron for years. Uh, but this could be the year that the numbers uh, really line up, and uh, that he won't be overshadowed by uh, you know Russ averaging a triple double or just you know unprecedented scoring. Uh, I think this could be the year that that. Uh, he finally finally gets his fifth MVP award. But I think it's been a long time coming. I think there are many years that you could easily argue that he should have uh, won MVP and did not. But I think this is the year that he gets it again. Yeah. Uh, on the old podcast that I hosted at Tommy Media, Keep the Ball Rolling, we'd do a question to end the show with any of our uh, any of our guests for 10 or interview segment. Uh, in the first season before I came on, they would ask uh, LeBron or Michael Jordan, uh, who is better. I feel like we don't have enough time to open up that can of worms, but got to ask Nick, LeBron or Michael Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you've you known my answer to this. I, I've certainly been... Uh, in LeBron's court, uh, you know, this, this whole time. And I think, uh, certainly with this Lakers team and if they can, uh, win, uh, a championship or, you know, two championships in his span, but even just the one, uh, I think that could really, uh, start to sway more people as well. Um, it's, it's those two in, in my mind. And, uh, I think it's, it is very close. It's hard to split hairs and compare eras, but but in my mind, just because of how he's built, the kind of athlete that he is, and how he can do everything on the floor, offensively and defensively, uh, he he is number one in my mind. 
but he's only three and five in the finals, and Michael yeah. Jordan is six. And he, and, and he couldn't, and he can't, he couldn't play in Michael Jordan's rough and tumble '90s NBA. Yeah, I, I, I disagree with with both of those points. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, we we can we can discuss this at another time. We can talk for hours about that. I think one of these days we'll have an episode where I'll introduce it, but then I'll just let you go on about how dumb some of the MJ LeBron arguments are. <laughs> yeah, they're both done. Just appreciate both players. They're both, you know, two of the absolute best athletes to, to, to ever play. So just enjoy LeBron while we can, for sure. In his next, like, 10 years he has left. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all we got for you here on Offside Sports. For my brothers Nick and Christian, I'm Noah Brown. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Cowboys suck. There it is. There it is. Thank you for joining us on Offside Sports on the Air. This podcast is a production of Brick by Brick Studios in association with Beer and Bomb Art and Design. Copyright 2019, all rights reserved. Distribution not included. Mm-hmm.